Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is the 247th episode of the podcast, and today we're going to be talking about ruts, what they are, and how you might get out of them when it comes to fly fishing or angling in general. But before we get to that, uh, since the 247th episode of the podcast, we're coming up on the 250th, actually 251st, because there's something special for the 250th. Uh, but the 251st, I'll have another Fly Fishing Accusations podcast with this, an opportunity for you to ask questions or offer feedback. Uh, I've got some great emails uh, that I have received from listeners and readers over the last few weeks that I would gladly share on that episode. But if you have something that you want to uh, bring up, there's a very good chance that you might make it into the episode as well. So don't hesitate to reach out. Matthew at castingacross.com. Matthew at castingacross.com, and I'm always happy to interact with you and your questions, your comments, your feedback. So as I mentioned, I want to talk about ruts. So what is a rut? Well, I don't know if you experienced this, and there's a very good chance you haven't experienced this. Uh, maybe you are completely content in your fly fishing, and uh, you, you are just chomping at the bit every morning when you wake up to get out and hit the river, uh, hit the surf, uh, hit the lake, do whatever you need to do to get out and get on the water. But the reality is that there's, for a lot of us, there's moments of doldrum. There's moments of uh, feeling like you are stuck. There's moments of feeling like this isn't as exciting as I remember it being when I started or even at the beginning of the season, and it might cause you to put down your fly rod. So here's my first piece of advice. This is maybe counterintuitive. This might be the last thing that you wanted to hear, but it's perfectly fine to take a break from fly fishing. It's perfectly fine to take a break from fly fishing. Now, you don't need me to tell you that. I don't need to validate you on your break that you're taking from uh, going fishing, but 
I've found that there's actually been times in my life, even very, very recently, where I've really come to appreciate taking breaks from fly fishing. Now, I'm always involved in one way, shape, or form because of casting across and because my boys are into it, and it's never longer than uh, you know a month. But uh, in the last few years, as I've taken up uh, waterfowl hunting, I have found that that prime time of waterfowl uh, hunting, when the birds are really moving and there's a lot of them around and the weather is nice, I want to spend every minute I can out on the water chasing birds. And so that means that the fly rods probably are going to stay in the back of the car and maybe not even make it there. They might stay in the basement. But that's totally fine. I'm choosing something good. It's not that I am choosing to put down fly fishing because I don't enjoy it. It's because I have found something else that is in that moment, for that period of time, uh, a higher priority for me. But of course, if if something were to happen and someone were to say, hey, I want to go fishing in this spot or or where I was taking to take a vacation or a trip and I'd be on a river or near a river, then I wouldn't say, no, I've, I've said I'm not going to fish for this month. That's not at all the situation. But all that to say is that there is a significant renewed desire to hit the water as soon as that month is kind of drawing to a close or those three weeks or whatever it might be. I really want to get back out there. And so that is a way to kind of kickstart your appreciation for fly fishing. Just put it down for a little bit. And I would say that doesn't mean that you have to put down fishing. Um, put down fly fishing. You can pick up the spinning rod. You can pick up the bait caster. You can go out with the surf rod. You can do anything like that. You can do other outdoor activities. And this is something that I've talked about uh, ad nauseum. And that is the benefit of diversifying your outdoor experience. I think I have a podcast or an article with that exact name on there. But that means that you can go hiking, you can go bird watching, you can go kayaking, and you don't need to bring a fly rod along. And there's a myriad of benefits that come with that. You are so much more observational, at least in different ways. Let me walk that back. It's not that you are more observational when you don't have a fly rod. It's just that you're observational in different ways. You're seeing things in new and different ways. So go back to the duck hunting, for example. Uh, When I am hunting in some of the very same waterways that I fish in in the spring and summer and early fall, when I'm there uh, hunting in the late fall, I'm noticing things about the water. I'm noticing contours in the the uh, river bottom. I'm noticing uh, places where there are uh, flows from tributaries and things like that that I just don't normally notice. Now, does that mean that I am super distracted when I'm fishing? No, it just means that I have a bunch of other stimuli that I am paying attention to and trying to process. And so in a different situation, a different circumstance, I'm noticing new and different things. So that is a, a it doesn't mean that you use those diverse outdoor experiences in, in a negative sense. It just means that in those moments, there are auxiliary benefits that you can bring back into your fly fishing. And so that means that when you're out with the kids, when you're out with friends, when you're out just doing something other than fly fishing, there's ways that you can take that and you can bring it back in to your your time on the water. So when you take a break, when you put the rod down for a week or a couple of weeks or even a month, it doesn't mean that you are putting things down and that there is no benefit. There may be very well some incredibly good benefits that you are going to be gleaning from doing that. And there's probably other times that are worth doing this. If you live in an area where the um, where, where the temperatures get really hot in the summer and the trout are stressed, they're still going to live there. So it's not put and take fisheries. They're wild fish. 
but because of seasonal uh, temperatures or even just the, the way that the that summer is going, that it would be wiser to not stress those fish out, then that would be a great reason to do it. You don't feel like, ah, oh, I'm I'm not a real fly fisher. I'm I'm losing my my angling card if I'm putting my rod down for the month of July. No, that's a perfectly valid reason to not fish because it is not the wisest thing to do. It's the not the kind of environmental stewardship that you want to practice. So I would say that is my first and most basic suggestion to getting out of a fly fishing rut. If you're feeling like you're doing the same thing over and over again, or you're feeling like you're not having a great as good of a time, or even if you're not having the kind of productivity that you would like to have, it doesn't mean that you need to force it. It doesn't need to keep pushing through. Just give it a break. Give it a rest. Give it a breather. Um, a another analogy I like to use with, with this for lots of lots of uh, par parts of life uh, it has to do with video games. So I don't think I've ever talked about video games in uh, on the podcast. But uh, I, I played a lot of video games as a kid. And my boys play uh, quite a few these days when we are not outside. Um, but but there's times where you get to a difficult situation. And you get to the point where you're staring at the TV screen. And your thumbs are getting tired. So your eyes are tired, your thumbs are tired, you're getting frustrated. And it's a relatively simple thing. But the, the time that you are getting to that puzzle or getting to that challenge or whatever it might be in the video game has gotten you to the point where you are physically and mentally just unable to deal with something that you should normally deal with. And so to put it down, give it a few hours, wait a couple of days, nothing wrong with that, come back to it. And lo and behold, first time out, you achieve that challenge, you beat that boss, you solve that puzzle, you make it through that dungeon. All right. Now, what does that show? It shows us that we can't that that our experiences can take a toll on us, something pleasurable, something fun can take a toll on us. The same thing is true in fly fishing. If you're not having the kind of success that you're having, you don't need to press through and just dig deep and make it happen. There's a very good chance if you're listening to this podcast, you are not vocationally uh, engaged in catching fish, you're doing it for pleasure. And so that means that you can put it down, take a breather, come back a few days and maybe a week later. Actually, one one more thing I'll add to that. Um, I've had that happen before with a particular fish that I'm fishing for. Um, and, and some of it has to do with the fish needs time. But some of it is that I need to just breathe and I need to not press and I need to not try to catch this particular fish. Um, there was years where I was on the water five, five or six days a week and there'd be particular fish that I'd be trying to kind of solve that puzzle. And I, I just couldn't come back to that fish multiple times a day or even the next day after I fished to it and be successful. So I just have to take that breather, think about it, anticipate making a measured and informed approach and presentation. So putting my gear down broke me out of that rut that was not helpful for catching fish and it made things a little bit less fun. So that's the first thing. All right. The first thing is just put it down for a period of time. And that's super subjective. And after a few weeks, if you have this intense longing for going fishing, then go fishing, right? All right. First thing. Second thing, switch up your gear, switch up your gear. So if you feel like you're in a rut and maybe your casting is getting a little bit stale, uh, maybe you're, you're not making the kind of presentations that you want to make, uh, is something as simple as using a different fly rod can change the way that you approach how you're fishing. I think it, to, to, to use a, a significant, almost like hyperbolic example, if you're using a nine foot five weight that's made out of uh, graphite, switch up to a seven and a half foot four weight that's made out of fiberglass, all right? 
there's a good chance that you have rods like that in your arsenal. But if you've been fishing the same river and you're kind of getting frustrated at how you're presenting flies, you're kind of getting frustrated that you're not having the kind of success that you'd like to have. You feel like you kind of dropped off in your ability to present flies and to catch fish and to hook up and things like that. Then switch things up and all of a sudden you are engaging your muscles and you're engaging the way that you're approaching that water in a different way, a way that's different enough that you're going to be paying attention to things in a new way. Another example. Uh, there was a river that was that had some great hatches coming off. And I was fishing with a nine foot five weight, uh, relatively fast action uh, graphite rod. And the casts were on point. I was able to make every cast and it was going just perfectly. I was having such a good time putting the flies where they needed to be. And the fish were responding appropriately. And for hours after hour after hour, I was missing fish or I was catching fish and I was snapping them off. And this happened for a few days. And I was just basically banging my head against the wall because I was doing the same thing over and over again. Very little success rate as far as getting fish to the net. So stopped, went back to the car. Actually, I think I fished streamers for a while just because I was like, I'm going to do something totally different. But I, I knew that fishing those dry flies and fishing to those fish was the way to go. And it's, I precisely did what I mentioned earlier. I switched up for a rod that is not an ideal dry fly rod. It was a shorter rod. It was a fiberglass rod. Um, I was still able to make those casts, not with the same kind of precision that I was making with that longer, uh, stiffer rod. But now I was using a softer rod that I had to think about my cast a lot more. And so my mind was almost preoccupied with making the cast. And so my my fishing went into autopilot when it came to setting the hook. And I was doing things subconsciously that I just knew to do. I wasn't I wasn't stressed about it. I wasn't focused about it. And then from a very practical standpoint, having that fiberglass rod was uh, a great way to uh, keep those fish on. The fish I was just losing more fish than I, I, I remember losing in a long time. Or having fish throw the hook when they jump, and so going to a slower rod, something that was able to suppress the uh, the the tension that was being created in some of these harder runs and some of these jumps, it was a great way to keep more fish on and bring more fish to hand. So that was kind of a mini rut that I got stuck in for a few hours for a couple of days, uh, and I was able to break out of it by just switching up my gear. And in doing so, I approached the water a different way. I thought about things in a different way. Um, the gear was helpful on its own, but it also was helpful in it changing the way that I was thinking about and dealing with the, the that situation that had become difficult to me to a certain degree because of my own frustration, but also because of the gear that I was using. All right. So the first suggestion, breaking out of rut, has to do with just putting things down. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, we, we, I keep coming back to this because I think it's important. Uh, because you can fish 12 months out of the year, 365 days in a lot of places, doesn't mean you have to. Uh, and it doesn't make you less of an angler if you don't. All right. That's the first thing. The second thing is switch up your gear. Just try something different. Um, try try a different rod. I, this can even kind of trickle down all the way to try different flies. Um, I, this is a more anecdote-filled uh, filled podcast than most, but uh, there was one season where I opening day was rolling around. Again, opening day is just kind of a, a, a general term for the you know the thrust of fishing season because a lot of these catch and release areas you can fish year round. But opening day was rolling around. I just didn't have the same sort of kind of enthusiasm or or 
or pop that I had in previous years. Uh, I just kind of felt like it was going to be more of the same for some of these rivers that I'd been fishing for a long time. And I was excited about catching fish. I was just not excited about how I was going to be catching fish. So I made the goal of fishing, of just becoming a better angler with nymphs. And it became a challenge. And so this is almost like a, a second uh, piece of advice of switching up your gear and third piece of advice, which is set goals. Uh, setting goals can be a great way to break out of a rut. It can be almost like creating a challenge for yourself. So the challenge is, even if there's bugs coming off and I could catch fish on dry flies, continue to use nymphs. Or there might not be any fish that are coming up, but fish attractors fish uh, um, terrestrials and try to entice fish or target fish or locate fish that are coming up. So you're fishing, you're, you're switching up your gear, you know, you're, you're you, in the sense that normally I'd fish fly X, but here I'm fishing fly Y and I'm having to think differently. I'm having to read the water differently. I'm having to cast differently. I'm having to fish differently. And so that's kind of the, the, the second option. Then the third option is set goals for yourself. Setting goals for yourself is a great way to uh, up the ante when it comes to challenge on the river. So again, and as I've said, and many other wiser and more experienced anglers than I have said over the years, uh, we don't fly fish because it's the easiest way to fish. We enjoy fishing in a way that has a certain rhythm to it, but also brings with it a certain amount of challenge. And so adding another challenge to it isn't that incongruent from what you're already doing. You're already engaging with the water and with the fish in a way that is particular because you enjoy it. There's, of course, places where you have to fly fish because of regulations, but there's a very good chance that you are, if you are a committed fly fisher, then you are fly fishing because you enjoy it and you enjoy the the way that that kind of fishing works and also the challenge that accompanies it. So what's wrong with adding other challenges? So whether it be I want to catch fish with this fly or this style of fly, I want to catch fish in this particular river, I want to catch fish over a certain amount of time, I want to catch a number of fish, I want to catch a size of fish, I want to catch a species of fish. I want to catch a fish utilizing these techniques. Um, I'm going to buy a Euro nymphing rod and I'm going to fish that Euro nymphing rod. I'm going to make a bamboo rod and I'm going to catch a trout every month of the season on the bamboo rod that I built. Whatever that challenge may be, it adds a certain something. Um, now, this might be the absolute last thing you want to do. The absolute last thing you want to do, it might might be add some sort of challenge or some sort of um, stipulation to your angling. That might sound terrible, as terrible as potentially putting down fly fishing for a few weeks. But I know for me, there's been times where this has been something that has pushed me on a day or on a week when I really didn't feel like getting out on the water was the best thing to do. Um, there was a a challenge that a, a friend gave uh, some of some of our, the, the fishers in our group uh, a couple years back, which was catch a different species every month out of the year. So if you have a crazy gangbuster like, uh, you know, June, where you're catching warm water fish, cold water fish, and you, you know, up until June, all the way, you know, January to June, you've caught a number of species, then you have a crazy summer uh, month where you catch a ton of fish, you've got some real challenges and you're fishing for silly little shiners and things like that, or you're going in, into the, the salt water and using bait to try to catch, you know, just some sort of random fish. But this was the challenge. It was catch a different species every month. So if you catch, you know, again, two species in May, now you can't catch that species again for the rest of the year. Totally arbitrary, 
there was no uh, award. There's nothing like that. It was just a fun little challenge for us to do and to talk about what we had caught, what we hadn't caught, how we had fished for it, what kind of things we did to try to find new fish and the silly fish that we we got ourselves into. And so there was a couple of months where I was just like, I, I didn't want to go fish for trout in the, the heat of the summer, but I thought, you know what? There's probably some ponds I could go to up here in New England and find some weird little fish, a horn pout. How many of you know what a horn pout is? Uh, and try to catch a horn pout with a fly. Uh, and that's precisely what I did. And it was just kind of a different uh, kind of sideways way of going fishing. But it was a way to get out on the water. And uh, it was a, a way to kind of get those those uh, uh, fishing gears lubricated as I went through a hot, hot, hot summer here in New England. All right. So uh, maybe this has been helpful. Maybe this sounds like the craziest thing in the world because you have no problem getting up and getting out for fly fishing. But I know from my own experience and from people I have fished with and from different folks that have talked about, you know, their their fishing experience here on Casting Across, uh, that there are times where you might just need a little bit of a, a boost, a little bit of a recharge, a little bit of a reset for your time out on the water. So hopefully these three things can get you out of that rut. Um, maybe you're frustrated because of your inability to catch fish or catch fish that you like that you would want to catch, or maybe you just don't have that same joy and passion that you've had. Hopefully these three things, uh, can give you some good ideas. And some of my experiences can kind of give it some real world teeth, uh, as it relates to getting out there and actually making these things work. Uh, have you had a similar experience? I'd be happy to hear about that. And it might be something that the entire audience would be happy to hear about as well. Matthew at castingacross.com. Once again, uh, I'll respond to you regardless, but it might make it on the podcast here in a few weeks. So this week on the podcast, two articles. The first one is called Three Trout Box Staples for Panfish. Three Trout Box Staples for Panfish. Now, this was a uh, kind of a fun article to write. And the impetus for this came from uh, a, a recent trip where I thought I was going to be fishing for trout. I ended up not fishing for trout. I ended up fishing for warm water fish the entire time. Caught some really good bass. And then I saw some really big panfish. And as fun as big bass are, I am a sucker for big panfish. I think pound for pound, I'd rather catch a 12-inch sunfish than a 12-inch bass, a 12-inch trout. Probably more than like a 14 or 16-inch trout for that matter. And so I really wanted to target these fish, but I'd not bring a box of panfish pan fish flies, say that three times fast, with me. Uh, so what did I do? I didn't turn to the local uh, sporting goods store because they actually didn't have any flies. Uh, what I did was I got my trout flies out and I thought, what flies in this box are going to perform well for panfish? Now, on, in, on one sense, all of them. They're all going to work. I mean, with very few exceptions, you're able to use most trout flies to entice a panfish. But there's some that are going to work well, uh, some that are going to work better than others, I should say. And uh, so I talk about three of those patterns and why I choose them. And to the, the point that actually these flies are flies that live in my trout box, but there's also flies that that these exact same flies that are in my panfish box. And uh, for anyone who has chased not just panfish, you know, in, in a general sense, but chased large panfish, uh, big blue bill, big sunfish, um, big, uh, big pumpkin seed, even big crappie, you understand that it's not as easy as throwing a worm in, uh, but it might be as easy as throwing a squirmy wormy in. So check out what those three flies are and uh, in, in that article. 
And the next article is called Excel at Keeping Fly Fishing Records. All right, this might be the nerdiest article ever on casting across. And it really uh, demonstrates my kind of uh, obsessive nature when it comes to certain aspects of record keeping. But I like to keep a lot of records about a lot of things. So I'm never second guessing myself or questioning uh, what something is. So I have spreadsheets about fly fishing. Well, actually, these days with Excel, it's one spreadsheet with multiple tabs uh, about fly fishing. And uh, I talk about some of the different tabs that I have on this article. But the one that I think is really helpful and really beneficial and the one that I turn to more often than not and one that may be helpful for you if you have a wide assortment of reels and a wide assortment of lines is a spreadsheet keeping track of what fly line is on which reel when you bought it and uh and some other specs about that fly line uh you know these days you can see the uh, specs of fly lines on a lot of the nicer brands uh models they will you know little print uh what the what the weight is what the taper is and some other information on there but uh sometimes that is rolled up under uh, a couple of of coils of line and a whole leader and so you can't easily see that uh sometimes if you have a whole drawer full of spools and reels like I do it's not the easiest thing to just kind of go through one by one so all I do is when I buy a fly line I put it in the spreadsheet when I put it on a reel I make a note of that and now I know exactly what line is on which spool and I also know when I started using that line and that's helpful too because I, again I talk about this all the time fly line is super uh, important it makes a good rod better it makes a great rod the best uh, and, and it's the biggest thing that is going to influence your casting outside of uh, you, your skill and to have clean and well-maintained fly line matters so much. And so I want to spend my hard-earned money on fly line that's going to last a long time. So part of the benefit of this spreadsheet is that I'm able to say, wow, after a couple seasons, this one's really cracking prematurely. I mean, I cleaned it. I took care of it. I didn't fish anywhere gross. And I'm not going to patronize this brand again. And if I do, I'm going to wait until they say that they've got a new and improved version of their fly line. And it also can make me say, you know what? This particular brand, this persisted year after year after year. I've gotten a a ridiculously long life out of this line because I put it on all these years ago and it's still performing well. Um, and then you get to the situation where, you know, you've thrown away the spool or, or something like that. And you've got, uh, like, I know I've got a couple of lines that are wrapped around, uh, water bottles downstairs. And, uh, so there's no way to label them, uh, without just, uh, uh, like, uh, creating some sort of system. And I've done that on my spreadsheet. So just a couple other thoughts along my crazy line management system that I uh, mentioned just now uh, in this article, Excel at Keeping Fly Fishing Records. This week's recommendation on the podcast is actually a sneak peek of a full review that is coming probably within the next few weeks. But uh, over the last month, I have been fishing with the Qualify Reels, Qualify Reels uh, Impact, their six to eight weight uh, model. The Impact is a new reel that uh, they have released just uh, this year, and it is a stellar reel that is useful in fighting larger fish in the freshwater and saltwater fish. Uh, incredibly smooth uh, in pulling line out and a great drag and a wonderful retrieve. Uh, this thing is rock solid and incredibly light, well balanced and very, very sharp to look at. Uh, so this comes in at just a 
touch over seven and a half ounces for their six to eight weight. And I'm using it on an eight weight rig. I haven't spooled it up with six weight line and given a, a shot in that context, but I've been fishing for uh, some larger freshwater fish and in the salt with it. So I've been using it on an eight weight and it is an excellent uh, reel to this point. Um, it also has a sealed drag and you pop the thing open and it, it doesn't just say it's sealed and you can see where, you know, you, you question this. This thing is built rock solid, uh, both from the exterior with its aggressive space and weight saving design um, all the way to just the way that the, the thing's assembled. So I've really enjoyed using it. Nice, big, bulky drag knob, uh, easy to, to switch around. I haven't, I, I've no need to switch it, but I did play with the mechanism that's used to switch it, uh, the retrieve, uh, but it's great little reel from a, a great company with a really cool story. I actually, uh, talked to the owners of qualify maybe early 2022 about, uh, about their company. So, uh, that's over at casting across, but I'll put a link to the qualify reels impact on this podcast's notes over at castingacross.com. And like I said, look for a full review over at Casting Across, which I'll certainly mention uh, coming up sometime in the next month. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and then read the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. <laughs>